as we continue to look at the uh, days and weeks before the uh, crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. We're skipping ahead a little bit and we'll move back uh, next week. But today I thought since it was uh, a Sunday in which we will be celebrating the sacrament of the Lord's Supper that we look at the institution of that sacrament at the Last Supper when Jesus told his disciples, do this and continue to do this, which is what we will be doing today. So we're going to be looking at the context of the Last Supper, the content of the Last Supper, and the consequence of the Last Supper, which also means that we will be looking at the context of the Lord's Supper, the context, or the content of the Lord's Supper, and the consequence of the Lord's Supper. First, let's look at the context of this Last Supper, this Lord's Supper that was instituted in that upper room. The context of the Lord's Supper is the Passover, the Passover Seder. In the Passover Seder, there are the same elements used as what were used in the Last Supper because the, this meal is the meal of the Passover, the Passover Seder meal. The disciples uh, said, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? And Jesus replied at the beginning of the passage that was read, uh, told them where to find what they needed and to prepare uh, for this Last Supper. And then as they were celebrating the Passover, Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Well, in the Passover Seder, the leader of the ceremony says, this is the bread of afflictions, affliction that our parents ate in the wilderness. The bread of affliction. You see, at the Passover, the, the um, Israelites were leaving Egypt, uh, running away from their slavery, and they endured great persecution, great affliction. Jesus says, this is my body. This is my bread of affliction, which is my body. I will take the affliction upon myself. During the Passover Seder, they are reminded every time of four promises that God gave to the Israelites as they were fleeing Egypt. God said to them, I will bring you out of suffering in Egypt. God said to them, I will save you from enslavement. God said to them, I will deliver you. And finally, I will take you for me as a nation and I will be for you the Lord. Rabbis uh, see the first three as physical, the physical deliverance from slavery, the physical deliverance from Egypt, the physical deliverance that God provided for the people. But they see the fourth as spiritual, pointing to the covenant, the covenant that Moses would have revealed to him on Mount Sinai, the covenant which is the law. The, the people of Israel looked forward to God calling them as his people. And indeed, when Moses received the law and delivered that law to the people, that was the establishment of a covenantal, a promise-based relationship between God and the people. Christian scholars also see the fourth cup as pointing to the covenant, 
And it makes perfect sense that we do because Jesus said this is the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. So as the Israelites looked forward to the, that covenant with God through the law, we, also, we believe that God was also pointing forward and Jesus um, took on the meaning of this promise as meaning himself, the new covenant, a new kind of relationship between God and God's people and a whole new people that are introduced to God through this new covenant. The first covenant was based in the law, based in a degree of obedience to that law. God promises that he will be their God and they will be his people. But what they're called to do then is to obey the law, to live out the meaning of that covenant. Jesus, in the new covenant, takes on the whole law upon himself and suffers and dies so that the new covenant is forgiveness through him. And our faith is not in our, our ability to obey the law, but our ability to trust in the completed work of Jesus Christ. Tim Keller, in preaching on this passage, or preaching on the, the concept of the Lord's Supper, said, I, I, you probably realize, as you, if you've come to church for any length of time, or even just once, and received the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, this sacrament that we call a meal, that it's not very filling. The physical elements of a little tiny piece of bread and a little tiny cup of juice, uh, they're not filling. But he says be that's because the main course is not there. But he goes on to say, but it is. The main course of the Passover meal was lamb. And it was the lamb that was slaughtered in order to put blood on the doorposts of the homes of the Israelites so that the angel of death would pass over them and not kill the firstborn son in each home. So there either a lamb or a son died in every home in that region at that time. The lamb in the Lord's Supper is Jesus Christ himself. He is the one who, whose blood poured out so that the angel of death will pass over us and eternal life is made available to us. One pastor said it this way, the tie uh, between the Lord's Supper and the Passover is a tie that says that we are invited to a meal made from God's God's ancient recipes of redemption and release. While the Israelites were delivered from slavery, delivered from bondage, delivered from Egypt, in Christ we are delivered from slavery to sin, from slavery to death, and from the curse which has impacted humanity since the garden. Jesus Christ delivered us ultimately from the thing, the horrible curse that keeps us separated from God, that keeps us in bondage to sin and death. And in his death, Jesus took on that curse. And as he died, its effects on us died. Now let's look at the content of the Last Supper. 
This is a topic of much discussion and debate throughout the history of the church. Jesus uh, said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and remember me. This is, this cup is the covenant in my blood. Take it and remember me. Well, the Catholic Church and even Martin Luther coming from the Catholic Church did not um, break with this belief that the body becomes the the, the bread becomes the actual body of Jesus Christ. The blood becomes, or the cup becomes the actual blood of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. The bread transforms into the body. The, the cup, the juice, the wine transforms into the blood of Christ. And so the, um, the theological uh, name for this is transubstantiation. The substance of the bread and the wine changes into a new substance. Now, in the Reformation, the ones that took it farther, farthest, were the Anabaptists. And, and Zwingli was um, a great leader in the Anabaptist tradition. And he says, well, wait, Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. Take it and remember me. And focuses on the remember side of things and says, this is a symbol. We are to see it as a symbol, only as a symbol, a way to remember a uh, uh, a prop, and not, not in a negative way, but a, a prop, a reminder of what Christ has done. And we take this uh, Lord's Supper as a symbol of what he has done to help us remember what he has done. Well, we who stand in the Reformed tradition are sort of standing, well, sort of like a middle child, trying to hold everybody together and, and filled with um, some compromise and understanding, trying to understand both sides and finding a place in the middle. And our our belief uh, is that the body or the bread and the wine do not change their substance, but because of the Holy Spirit's presence in the sacrament, be, have carry the power of Christ with them. So we receive Christ spiritually through this sacrament. And it's important enough that denominational lines are drawn, that many theological debates have been fought over this. But the main thing is to realize, and this is easier for a Reformed person to say than, than a Roman Catholic person, but it, the important thing is to realize that in some sense, Jesus Christ is very present in this sacrament. We remember and repeat Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Continue to do this. Continue to remember. And not just in our minds. It's not just the teaching we receive uh, as we read scripture or, or listen to sermons. It's a physical enactment of what Christ has done. So we are called to remember, but we are also called to anticipate. Anticipate the kingdom of God coming in its fullness, the the. the marriage feast of the Lamb, when we, as the bride of Christ, will gather together in this glorious supper. And this last supper of Jesus Christ could be called the first supper in some ways, because it is the first time that we experience that connection with Jesus Christ, which will be 
fulfilled and much more glorious in his kingdom. And we receive, we receive Jesus Christ in this sacrament. Jesus in John 6 says, I tru Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Who, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Many people, many of the people who were following Jesus decided not to follow him anymore after he said that. It is indeed a disturbing picture. But he was talking about um, answering questions from the leaders of that day about manna, about manna being a provision for the Israelites as they traveled through the wilderness, that God provided manna for them to eat. God provided life-sustaining food for them. And Jesus is saying God has provided life-sustaining, eternal life-sustaining food in me. And unless you participate in me, unless you take in what I've done for you, unless you take in me, he says, you have no part of me. So the content of the Last Supper, the content of the Lord's Supper is indeed Jesus Christ himself. And we believe that is by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Next, we'll look at the consequence of the Last Supper. And notice that the Last Supper is not about Jesus' resurrection or his uh, life lived in perfect obedience to God. It is about his death. And that's what Jesus wants us to remember on a regular basis that he died for us because his death created this new covenant, this new relationship uh, with God. We commemorate his death, and it is to be repeated. And the reason for that is that we must understand and embrace his death for us to receive what he has done for us. In a sense, it's a, well, in, in a more than just a sense, it is indeed a covenant renewal ceremony. Every time we gather at the table, be it in person or virtually, we are renewing our covenant had the privilege a year or so ago to uh, officiate the renewal of vows for Bob and Carol Geddes, and what a fun time that was. Uh, and, and they've been married a decent amount of time, but they know that they are still very much committed to each other and to their marriage. And we, in going... It's, coming back to the table of the Lord, are renewing our covenant promise to God, renewing our covenant reception of God, re receiving the promises of God for ourselves, in a sense, renewing our vows, renewing this promises, renewing this relationship, affirming this relationship, and reminding us ourselves of how important this relationship with God works.
and what, at what cost Jesus won this relationship with God. He sacrificed for us. Just like the lamb was slaughtered, he was slaughtered. National Geographic ran a story years ago about after a fire at Yellowstone, in Yellowstone, the, the people were coming through the cleanup efforts and saw a bird, a dead, charred bird, sitting, standing, um, almost like sitting straight upright, but dead, charred. And they thought, wow, that is so strange. Why would it just be still sitting like that until they knocked it over and three chicks escaped from under their mother who had given her life for them. Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you under my wings like a hen gathers her chicks. And we think of that as a, a nice um, symbol of affection, of protection. But that bird, that bird at Yellowstone shows us the cost that sometimes occurs when a, a bird gathers her chicks under her wings because that bird underwent the whole strength of that fire and it killed her so that her chicks could live. Jesus Christ when he puts us under his wings and dies on our behalf, gives himself for us that we might live and live eternally. And an important point to be made that Paul makes very strongly in 1 Corinthians 11 is that the Lord's Supper uh, carries its power, carries its uh, effectiveness when we receive it correctly. Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. What Paul is saying is examine yourself. When you approach this table, are you truly receiving the body of Christ? Are you focused in on what this means are you focused in on what Jesus Christ has done for you? Every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, God is calling us to link our hearts more deeply into his heart, to link our individual lives more deeply into the lives of his people, and to link our lives and practice more deeply into our belief in what Jesus Christ has done for us.